The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. Um, I'm Leslie Albrecht, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Market Watch, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Arthi Swaminathan, who is the housing reporter at Market Watch. Arthi, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, so let's just jump right into it. It's an interesting time to be a housing reporter, isn't it? Um, let's just sort of set the scene for people about what's going on in real estate at the moment in case in case you haven't been reading Arthi's coverage, which you should be doing because it's great. Um, but the bottom line is it's really tough out there for people who are trying to buy or rent. Home prices hit a record high in June with the median price uh, of a home at $416,000, which was up about 13% from a year ago. And rents also hit a record high with the median rent nationally at around $1,876. And as we know, for buyers, their costs are getting even higher because mortgage rates are at about 5.3% as of last week. Uh, and that's up from two two and a half percent a year ago, and that adds a couple hundred dollars to your monthly housing costs on a median priced home. Um, so there's a lot going on. And Arthi, what are some of the key questions that people are asking about the housing market right now? And before yeah. you answer that, wait, sorry, I just want to just want to remind the audience they are encouraged to send in questions. We already have quite a few, so we will try to get to as many as possible. But send in your questions. Sorry, go ahead, take it away, Arthi. No, yeah, everyone, please send questions um, because we're try- all trying to navigate this crazy, crazy housing market. So first off, people are very, very curious if house- the housing market is going to crash. And that's something that we will answer over the course of this um the conversation, but the answer, short answer is not really likely. People are curious if the market has peaked. Should they sell now? Should they buy now? Should they wait to do either? People are even thinking about renting versus buying at this point. Will the value of their home that they just bought go up or down, especially if they bought somewhere in Boise, which is a very hot destination, or if they have a home here in New York, is it going to go up or down? People are also really curious about how many homes are available on the market. New construction, are there there going to be more homes for sale coming up? And upsizing, downsizing. So there's a lot of questions that people are really thinking about because they everyone has a sense that the market is cooling rates are up borrowing costs are up so everyone is just the direction in which they should go is really the biggest question on everyone's minds right now yeah it's a really um it seems like it's a really it's a stressful time to be someone who's in the the housing market um and we all are sort of in the housing market indirectly because Um, A lot of our economic stability comes from that. Um, But uh, so let's pick that apart a little bit. Uh, Is what's the consensus on whether there's going to be a crash? So I've been asking a bunch of economists this question, right? Is the housing market in a recession? Is it going to crash? And the overwhelming answer is 
not really. There's likely going to be a correction, which is a very economist term, but you can also call it a normalization that prices are not going to increase as much as they will, but they will still modestly increase. Some, some economists are willing to go out there and say, yes, the housing market is in a recession, but it's kind of a more of a contrarian kind of perspective. So what people are expecting is home prices, the the rate of increase in the value of home price appreciation is going to slow, possibly even go into negative territory. And that is interesting because if you if you just bought a home last year and you're planning to sell it immediately, then that would give you a pause, uh, you know, a reason for a pause and think like, okay, maybe we should really hold off on that. But um, in the long run, America always is a very optimistic country. Everything goes up, right? But to again, to answer the question, not likely to see a crash, perhaps likely to see a correction. We might get back to where we were two to three years ago in terms of growth, in terms of prices for some homes. But no, we're not going to see crashing and burning like the Great Recession. Yeah, and, and speaking of the Great Recession, um, there are some parallels, or not, there, there are some parallels between today and around 2006, one of which is affordability, right? Yeah, it is really, really, really expensive right now to buy a home because of the mortgages and because of the fact that you mentioned in the intro, $416,000 median home price that is just out of reach for so many people but in 2006 well that situation was a little bit different right like the financing was really easy for builders and it was really like we had a lot of subprime borrowers being able to get homes but then there was a sudden crash and then that really tightened conditions but this time the quality of the home buyer their income everything is really rock solid because companies do not want a repeat of what happened then but at the same time this is really due to market forces for some reason we have a shortage of homes and this is something that we've been hearing from so many economists experts researchers that we have a shortage of homes we're not building enough homes and so that crunch is really that is the interesting parallel here that home builders again are like oh my god we need to scale up construction we need to provide all these people with homes but they're not do, able to do it fast enough which is why we're seeing home prices in, uh, kind of kind of increase yes increase maybe not that at, at that fast of a clip but still increase and one thing i kind of find really interesting is that even renting is really expensive right so the whole housing market and if you want to pull it back to inflation and all those things um this all feeds into it everything is just getting more expensive and it's going to stay more expensive if this if rents are not going to come down um yeah you just touched on so many things actually that I want to ask you about one of which if you don't mind skipping around just a little bit but you were just talking about how it's um it's tough to get new homes built right now can you tell us you just wrote an interesting story actually about the the um a concept called the five l's of home building and those are the the factors that affect home building can you tell us a little bit about that and like what what does that refer what are the five l's and where does that idea come from yeah, the five L's are not something I coined. I want to give full credit to uh, Robert Dietz at the National Association of Home Builders. Home builders face five big uh, issues when it comes to building a home. That's lots, the developed lots that uh, builders can build on. And that means that a land, not just any piece of land, but with you know water and plumbing and sewage system and the electricity system all installed so that they can build on that land because that's really not expertise unless they're a specialized builder they need 
to clear um, laws, zoning laws, you know, the whole idea of can you build a single family home or a multifamily home on this and build us at this point really like multifamily homes and we can get into that later because you can get rent. But that again, it's depending on laws. There is lumber. Lumber prices have come down, but there is a lumber tariff still in place between the U.S. and Canada. Kind of difficult. I don't know if our audience has read these stories about people not being able to get garage doors, people not being able to get windows. So all these houses are unfinished. So that's lumber lots, laws, labor. Labor is really challenging. It's very difficult to find construction workers right now. And we did a story about... Um, Having to tap on women because construction is like not really <laughs> a traditional female job. It's very difficult to work in very physically demanding. So they're trying to, you know, improve and in encourage more women to take on construction jobs. They're trying to encourage more immigrants to come back because the Trump administration was not very friendly <laughs> towards that kind of labor. So labor lumber, I'm missing one L. I'm missing an L. Uh, did you <laughs> laws? Did you do laws? Lending. Lending, right? Lending. Oh, yeah, that's key. That's key for everybody right now, right? Yeah. So lending is very interesting when you think about lending. Immediately we think about, oh, mortgage rates, super high. People are not going to buy as many homes because, again, like 5.3% is crazy. Demand has pulled back. But also lending for home builders, the supply, right? So they also are their business and their cost of business is going up and their interest rates are going up. So all these five L's taken together make it make it very simple to, for us to understand why builder confidence has plunged. Like it has plunged to the lowest level since May 2020, which is the start of the pandemic. But it's really also at the same time, um, Bill McBride from Calculated Risk, who is a very <laughs> a great blogger. I, I encourage everyone to read his uh, a blog, but he says that it's actually something very unexpected. And I think that's something that... Uh, we need to think about is the number of homes in the construction. Oh yeah, this is really interesting. Tell us about this. <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting. I everyone else think thinks it's really interesting, but there have been a record number of homes under construction and under construction, but not finished. And that is really the very annoying part. So there's a housing shortage. We all know that, but there are 824,000 single-family units under construction, 856 multifamily units, and multifamily units means apartments uh, or like those kind of multi-dwellings um, under construction. That is together, that's 1.68 million. That's the highest since 1973. Yeah. And that's when they built all these apartments for baby boomers. That's a lot of homes that are coming online. But when are they coming online is a big question. Yeah, I think that is so interesting. So is that because builders are, they're starting, they're permitting their homes, they're getting them permitted and they're starting them, but then they're not able to complete them because of some of those issues we just talked about with the labor shortage and the lumber shortage? Precisely, yeah. So I had one builder write to me like, when the interest rate hike happened, it was like an atomic bomb went off because now they, they have been told to build, 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 to feed this hungry, hungry population that needs more homes, this millennial generation that, you know, we are part of it really want to buy a home, but they're unable to find it. Inventory is low. So they built and built and built, but they couldn't finish them because, again, no garage doors, no electrical transformers to power the site, you know, all these different challenges. But there is a silver lining, kind of like an early silver lining for buyers, which is that um, some of them are reporting on earnings calls, including LGI Homes, um, it, that prices are coming back to where they were two to three years ago. So 
could be in the market for some decently priced homes, but it's not something that we can extrapolate just one builder at this point. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, it's such a it's an interesting time. OK, so um, I just want to encourage people to submit questions. We have quite a few already. We'll go to some right now. One is from Jonathan, who wants to know, in tough markets like California, is it better to wait until supply increases and, pr and prices drop? I assume he means if you're trying to buy in a tough market like California, um, which is where you lived actually recently, right? Until you came out to the East Coast. So you were you were in San Jose. You saw you were in the uh, the heart of the the beast there of the real estate um, crisis out there. It's crazy because um, when I was speaking to you from San Jose at that time, right at that time in May, the market was turning, right? So people were getting a. Uh, crap load of mailers and you know emails like from realtors saying you should sell your house now you know the market has peaked the market has peaked and then we saw so many for sale signs and i was telling you like there, there might be a story here but i think obviously that number has really exploded but um again like when you think about buying it's different when you think about buying and selling right if you're thinking of buying it might make actually sense to wait and don't don't take my advice on this i'm not a financial advisor but Based on the data that we're reading, based on the indicators that we're seeing, um, home prices are slowing. So, and you know, with all these economists thinking home prices might actually decelerate, might make sense for you to wait. But depending on your financial situation, so American Enterprise Institute said that uh, they're they they actually aggregate a lot of housing market indicators, and they're more real time than the government indicators, which are really slow. But again, you know, you use different indicators to read different things, but. Home price appreciation is really slowing in San Francisco and San Jose and Pittsburgh, but we're not going to talk about Pittsburgh. Um, San Francisco, that's a 3.8% deceleration in June versus May. Um, too soon to extrapolate it too much, but that's kind of the sense that I'm getting, right? So all these super hot markets and also all these uh, traditional like hot spots, like everyone wants to live in the beach. Everyone wants to live in Silicon Valley. They're really seeing home prices decelerate. As to the matter of whether new homes will come online, I think that builders really focused a lot on the Sunbelt, Florida, Austin, uh, Phoenix, all these different hotspots. So I don't really think you're going to see a whole bunch of new homes in, you know, uh, Santa Clara County. We're not going to see a bunch of new homes in um, Union Square in uh, San Francisco. So uh, if you're buying, that's really different. If you're selling... It really depends if you really need the cash now. I mean, could you wait? Um, again, it really depends on your, your situation. But again, home prices are slowing. So if you want, if you're able to, you make that decision for yourself. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, flip it on. If you have to sell, it's a tough time, right? I mean, you if you need the, if you need the money because you, you need that money for, your, for a new house that you just bought, then you got to sell as fast as possible. But what about, I know some people have thought about... Um, Maybe instead of selling your house right now, you should rent it out because rents are so high. What do, what do well, we think about that? Renting is a fabulous idea. And renting short term, even more fabulous, right? If you have like a cute little uh, vacation home by Newport Beach or you know Malibu, I mean, that's an ideal situation. Um, you're going to make a lot of money. Short term rentals, the money that you make on it has been is going to be very, very high because of this huge pent up demand for travel. And that's something we've also been covering. If you're going to rent it too, that's really a lot of young people really want to come back and live in the city, work in the city. 
not people like me i'm not really <laughs> interested in working in the city because uh, you know we have a family but young people really want that experience right so in new york for instance rents have gone up like crazy and i keep repeating this but a family friend his rent went up from 40 4300 to 60 some like 6000 something that's crazy like that's crazy that landlords can't afford to charge that much but they can because they want to recoup all the money that they lost during the pandemic so if you have a home that you can rent it might make a lot of sense to put it on the market right now and maybe capture some of the gains but if you are thinking of selling again like it really depends on where you are if you if you're in phoenix it might actually make sense to sell it now and get out of there maybe get into the northeast or where, wherever you want um it depends on your age and on your risk profile so um selling is a very difficult thing but that being said i do want to point this out that um in a couple of months ago i pitched the story to you about this lady getting hounded for a house that her grandmother was living in because they found out that the grandmother had been living in the home and they were like, please sell this home. Please, please sell this home. They were just getting so many mailers. Like somebody had taken like a, a Google uh, map screenshot and said, please sell this house. We want to buy it. And this was somewhere in Texas. And then she ghosted me because understandably all these, you know, all this demand kind of disappeared when rates went higher. People are no longer getting like 20 bids one realtor told me he had to compile a spreadsheet of um, offers so that his uh, the seller can look at it. Now they're getting like three. Wow. Still, that 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 difference is decreased, but still there is a difference there. Yeah, that um, it, it's it's like a switch went off actually when the mortgage rates went up because even well, I live in Brooklyn and on our block there was a house for sale in around March or April, right when. The Fed started raising rates, which only indirectly affects mortgage rates, as we know. But um, at that point, there were like 20 offers above, and 14 were above ask or something. But I'm sure if they tried to sell it now, it would be a totally different ballgame. It's so it's just crazy how things can really uh, change so quickly. And actually, speaking of mortgage rates, um, so what's the what's the forecast for mortgage rates? Like, and one of our readers uh, posed this question to you, which is, are they are they going to go down? <laughs> and if so, when? <laughs> I'm not the, I am not the setter of mortgage rates. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but I know how to read signs, right? So if you want to get a, a sense of where the, uh, the mortgage rates are going. Greg Robb, our colleague um, at MarketWatch, suggested that we monitor the 10-year, the 10-year treasury and its yield. So right now the 30-year is trading at 5.18. I think that was um, that was either today or something. The 30 30-year, according to Freddie Mac, which has a different sort of reading on it, was 5.3. The 10-year is moving up. If you go on the MarketWatch website, you'll see that 10-year is moving up. That has a very close correlation with mortgage rates, which means that it could go higher. And so that it's not a mortgage rates. To, to, we want to point out that it's not in an all time high. It's not huge, but there is correlation between tenure and the uh, 30 year. So could go up is what we're seeing, but we don't know how the Fed will react. And I don't really want to advise anyone to <laughs> to make any moves on 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 my advice. But um, yeah, the signs are pointing at the fact that it might go up. Um, I just want to also point out that buying a house at 5.2% versus buying a house at 2.75% is a huge, huge difference. It's like $400 a month. So that's why it's very important to measure these rates. How we we uh, 
report rates is we look at Freddie Mac, which publishes every week, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. So if you want to have a look at that, they have a really nice chart that um, shows the long-term trend going up. If you want to look at Mortgage News Daily, they also have a more current one. Um, and you can make a decision on that. But again, the recommendation is to look at the 10-year, if it is going up or is it going down. Economists seem to think that it could go up. Yeah, it's it's um it's also interesting to look at them in a historical context. I was talking to somebody recently about um, adjustable rate mortgages because I wrote a column about adjustable rate versus fixed rate mortgages. And this um, lending expert who I was speaking to mentioned that you know we like we're all bemoaning mortgage rates right now, but they're actually still like relatively low if you look at the grand sweep. So I just posted, hopefully Crystal can post this in the chat. There's this cool chart from the St. Louis um, Fed that shows rates from the 70s. And I guess around in 1982, 81, they were like around 18%. So <laughs> if you if you were trying to buy a house back then, oof, um, that would have been tough. Um, you know I just know, I, sorry to jump in. Sorry to cut you off, Leslie. But there was a there was a family friend who was like bemoaning the savings rate last year. Who was like, it's one percent. When I was in eight in the eighties, it was like eight percent. So the savings rate like is different. The wage has gone up. Like the situation is really different. But again, yeah, it's, it's really really crazy to think that rates were that high. But it's also crazy to think that rates were this low. Who would have thought that it came? Who would have thunk? Is kind of informal way to say it, but. Two percent. I'm like choking. Two percent. I wish. I wish I had bought a home last year. Just um, it's really num lack of <laughs> homes available for sale is really the problem here. Yeah. Um, speaking of recent history, um, so there were a lot of like interesting real estate patterns that emerged during the early days of the pandemic, where people were moving out of cities and going to smaller towns. And so, what are we seeing? Like, um, what's happening now in those cities, or like? Are those patterns still happening or has it reversed or like what, what's the status of that and what does it mean for the market yeah there was an interview i did with this lady who moved from palo alto in the bay area to um salt lake city in one of and um i was interviewing a bunch of people economists and this guy in utah was like it's crazy like we're seeing ferraris and we're seeing google and microsoft and all these companies just you know an exodus towards um I think it was Utah. And I, I, when you're looking for pictures, so, so many data centers. So that early pandemic trend has really slowed down. But um, that really is showing up in the house price appreciation data where we're seeing uh, price cuts in terms of listings go up. Realtor.com did a really nice um really nice blog post about price cuts in cities like Reno, Austin, Boise, as high as 33%, the, uh, not the highest, 33% of homes in these markets are seeing a price cut. The magnitude really depends. But people, are, I guess my, my question to all these people is, how strong is the desire to return to work? Because if you have decided to permanently move to Boise, you're a software engineer, you're able to work remotely. I have a, I have a friend who did just that. She moved from Brooklyn to Colorado take advantage of the work from home. She's a software engineer. And she's like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live here. It's cheap. You know, who wants to pay rent in Brooklyn? So how sustainable is this? It depends on your industry too. I know in finance, um, they're trying to make people come back to the city in New York. Thankfully, we're not in 
<laughs> but um, it's expensive for that commute. I talked to someone else in consulting who was like, yeah, I've been in, I've been remote since 2019 and nobody's going to force me to come back to the office. So that, that fight between employers is really going to impact real estate trends. But are we going to see as many people buy homes in Phoenix? Are we going to see as many people buy as many homes in Las Vegas? It's not really clear because those homes became so expensive. They need to come back down before people can even consider. Yeah, I think uh, that that story about the markets where the price cuts are happening was really interesting because it was all it was all places that became big hotspots during the pandemic, like Boise, Idaho and um, some of those other spots. Um, and actually, oh, our, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I wanted to jump in because I, fo I forgot to mention this, which I think is a really cool part of it, is the investor share of buying, right? Yeah. A lot of the buying in a place like Phoenix has been on behalf of investors who are buying and then renting. And our colleague, Emma Ackerman, has done a lot of work on how some rent, like some rental companies, some landlords have been doing some pretty shady tactics. But that that has been that has been a big push investors just buying up homes and then renting it out yeah you wrote about um the the investor the platform the investing plat the real estate investing platform that bought up a bunch yes. of apartments in the sunbelt right yeah and they that is fundrise which fundrise. Uh, is an interesting company they um they buy up homes and then they have a little fund that you can invest in um no endorsement, but it is it is an interesting company worth looking at what they're thinking about because they are betting that people are going to stay in the Sunbelt. People are going to continue staying in these places, but people at Moody's are saying no, that's not going that, that is not going to be the case. So it's not it's not clear, and from for me, it doesn't seem clear. It seems like a demographic thing, right? Uh, when you go to New York, you see so many young people, so many young people are so interested in, in living in these homes, lines and lines of people queuing up to rent, lines going down a fourth floor walk up. Like I will never live in a fourth floor walk up again because it's so difficult to bring everything up a fourth floor walk up, but the demand has been huge. So I think that is just that just illustrates how um, it's very difficult to predict how the market is going to go. Yeah, it's also interesting to think about like how all of this stuff intersects with the labor market because, you know, earlier on when the labor market was super tight, the workers were in the power position and yeah, they could live wherever they wanted to. But um, we've written stories in the personal finance section at MarketWatch about how bosses kind of mentally lose touch of their remote workers and they they admit to some sometimes kind of like forgetting about them, um, which brings up a question about, you know, if we if we start getting into more layoffs, are the people who are working remotely going to be laid off faster than the the people who are at the office? I don't know. Who knows? This is a, it's an open question. But like that brings up another interesting aspect to this whole equation. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that is really interesting point because when so um, a lot of tech companies have decided to go permanently remote, right? Because they're like, it doesn't even make sense for us. But at the same time, some companies are like, some people want to stay remote, some people want to come back to the city. And then those people who are remote were like, I'm, am I going to get a pay cut? Am I am I going to be the first person to get fired? And a lot of these people have big families, which is why they moved out of the city, because they don't want their two babies in the same room screaming at each other. For instance, that's what Fundrise CEO is telling me. It's like his five-year-old and three-year-old were screaming at each other in a room. 
I might have gotten the ages wrong, but you know, the kid, the kids, right? So that is a very, very interesting thing that I'm sort of thinking about is that if companies allow people to stay remote, like all the employees to stay remote, how are they going to do job cuts? And in this environment, we're seeing more and more companies. I think LinkedIn did a really nice overview of on one of the site tabs on all the companies that are laying off. What is going to be the calculus? Is remote work going to be a perk? Because it was a perk. It was hybrid was a perk. Is that going to go away? What are companies going to do? Because a lot of these companies, including my former employer, was at 770 Broadway, the leases are going up. Are they going to re-sign that lease? Because it's expensive to buy real estate in San Francisco, in New York. Um, so what was going to happen with these leases? It was a very early idea about turning um, office empty office spaces yeah. into apartments. I don't know. I don't know if you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that trend hasn't really picked up. Will that pick up? It, it's making more sense to rent, right? So there's a lot of questions up in the air. Um, I think Challenger Gray and Christmas did like a a study on this and said that people are not really moving for work anymore you know employers are continuing to offer all these hybrid positions and that's as of now and this is specifically because people bought homes in 2020 and they don't want to move so yeah for now it looks like employees still have the upper hand but who knows how long that will last um oh my gosh we only have like a couple minutes left but i want to um get people to hear a little bit about your column, The Big Move. Um, tell us about what, Arthi has a cool column. It's called The Big Move. Arthi, what is The Big Move and what should readers know about it? Yeah, The Big Move was something I took over from my esteemed former colleague, Jacob Passy. He wrote this really cool column about, uh, that solicits reader questions about should they move, should they buy, you know, there was death in the family, what happens to my property or like, you know, like someone's trying to claim prop, like claim ownership over this or like, should I build on someone? It's a lot of questions from readers and it's really fun to answer them. Um, the column really goes, we're not trying to tell you how the market is going, but we're trying to offer you some perspectives from all these uh, different outside voices and also from our reporting, right? We, we feel like we have some sense of how what is happening right now. So the column really uh, invites people to write into this email inbox. I think it is the big move at uh, marketwatch.com. If you want to, you can write some questions in and we will on a weekly basis try to respond to these reader questions. And um, it's really fun because when we post these, a lot of people are like, no, I don't agree with that answer. Or they say, yes, I agree with that answer. So it's really a great conversation to have. And if you are not, interested in writing in to ask a question you can actually respond in the comments of these uh, stories as well to offer your perspective yeah it's really it's a cool column because people tell their personal stories so you get to glimpse somebody else's life but also a lot of times they kind of mirror these macroeconomic trends so it's pretty interesting um bad news that's all we have time for today thank you for being here arthi uh well, thank you this is really fun and also just like Everybody should contact Arthi if you have story ideas in general about housing or real estate because she's an energetic reporter. She gets a lot done and she does great stories. So, uh, okay. So we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. It's going to be Baron senior writer, Lauren Foster, talking to ETF industry pioneer, Dave Nadig. He's the financial futurist for VETA5 um, about the year's biggest ETF stories, including the launch of single stock ETFs and what lies ahead for the second half of 2022. 
But that's not all. In addition, please join Market Watch for the best new ideas in Money Festival on September 21st and 22nd in New York City. Please see the slide and chat box for more details. It's going to be really cool. Um, thank you for listening. Stay safe and have a good day and continue to read Market Watch and Barron's. Thank you. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.